after six years of podcasting, we can finally close the door on season two of The Twilight Zone. But what about the show itself at the time? In The Twilight Zone Companion, Mark Zickrey says that spring of 1961 was very much like a replay of spring the previous year when season one had ended. The show won a Hugo Award, it won Emmy Awards, it won an award for outstanding contribution to race relations. So people were noticing that this was a quality product. Now CBS at this point were considering going into season three, extending it to hour-long shows. And as we know, that didn't happen. And Rod Serling said at the time, frankly, I'm glad of it. We can keep that vignette approach. So two seasons in, there is 65 episodes of mostly really high quality television. I'm looking forward to seeing how that maintains in season three. But before we do, I mentioned a few episodes back that I would like to invite some listeners onto the show to talk some Twilight Zone 2. If you put your name into the hat and haven't been chosen, it was completely at random. So thank you for putting your name in. I do appreciate it. But I did pull out one ringer because everyone who put their name in to come on the show, they were all male. And I did want to get a female voice onto the show as well. So I did invite that female guest on and and we'll see who that is in a moment. So let's get on with our chat with our four guests. Now what I'll do, I will let them introduce themselves, but I will put links to all of their work in the show notes. If you enjoy their contributions, then go and check out what they do as well, because we've got some very talented and creative people putting their two cents in. So the point here was not for me to really get involved with this. It was for me to sit back and let some listeners give their thoughts on episodes. But on the next episode, I'll be putting my opinions in on the season as a whole. So let's hand over to them and I will speak to you next week. Okay, so let's start off just as way of introduction. Introduce yourself to the audience and and tell us about you and what you do. Well, my name is Brandon Shea and I have a audio podcast on the Trek FM network called Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And music has a very special place in my heart when it comes to film and television. And it started with the music for Star Trek VI, but it's really expanded beyond that. And it's not just Star Trek music that I listen to. I actually expand my show quite a bit. Um, I try and focus on the, the composers of the Star Trek music and some of their other work outside of Star Trek. We've focused on some deep dives into an old Jerry Goldsmith uh, album called Mephisto Waltz. And I'm going to try and do some deep dives into some other stuff as well. Okay, well, my name's Gus Holwerda. I'm a filmmaker. I uh, independent stuff mostly, but I've written and directed a few films and TV shows. Most recently, I did um, a documentary about the scientists Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss. It's called The Unbelievers. Um, kind of follows them around on the road when they go out and talk about politics and religion and science and all that good stuff. Um, but other than that, just finished editing a little time travel. Uh, sci-fi thriller which we've been working on for like five years or so which is called Intersect and uh, we have high hopes that it will have been worth the last five years of our lives but I'll let you know when that's done because it's full of uh, full of Twilight Zone references and hidden nods so it's kind of cool Well, my name is Brandy Jackola, and I have actually done a couple of readings for the Twilight Zone podcast, so if you are thinking my voice sounds familiar, that's probably why. Uh, We also have a podcast, my husband and I, Dave, and we do the Dark Corner podcast, which is here on the same network as uh, Strange and Deadly Show, etc. And uh, so basically, we're two nerds in Utah uh, that uh, talk about the darker side of pop culture and such and the way that we view it. And we talk about just basically whatever we feel like. Um, so if something strikes our fancy, we'll do it on the podcast. And uh, we like to not be limited in that way. And 
We've been going, well, in this incarnation, we've been going a little over a year. Mm -hmm. um, we did have a podcast previously called The Inside Outcast, which was on geekplanetonline.com, and the old episodes can still be found there of that show. Hey, uh, my name is Uncommon NASA. Uh, I am a huge Twilight Zone fan, but it also influences my work as a rapper and producer and touring artist. I've toured pretty much all over the United States in the last three or four years uh, performing music. Um, I'm actually about to be in the United Kingdom from February 11th to the 19th. Mm. So you can always check UncommonNASA.com to find out about that. And coincidentally enough, I'm actually... On January 20th, I'm putting out a an EP of uh, work that I've done over the years that collects a lot of the Twilight Zone influence stuff that I've done. Oh, wow. Uh, it's called uh, Mink Swimming Pools, uh -huh. uh, which was a reference of his toward uh, the Hollywood lifestyle. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's going to be through um, myself, um, Unheard Nerd, uh, Nerdcore Records, which is also based in the U.K., and um, I had an accident records who's going to put it on cassette. And uh, basically the entire thing is going to be up online for two months. And then the tape, they'll be limited to 50. And all the proceeds from that are going to go to the ACLU here and uh, NPR, which is National Public Radio. So um, check that out uh, on CommonNASA.com. Obviously, Twilight Zone has been a big influence on you. Tell us about how that began, what your earliest Twilight Zone memories are, and why it kind of stuck with you so much. I love the Twilight Zone. I I remember that, I don't know when it was, but I was young, and I remember the first episode of the Twilight Zone that, that stuck out in my memory was actually The Grave. Mm. And I was watching The Grave, and it was just such a spooky, captivating episode and I just I couldn't take my eyes off of the television. And I don't remember how old I was when I watched it. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was quite a while before I really dove into the Twilight Zone. I'd seen a few episodes here and there. But it was when I was in uh, early university. I was about 18, 18 or 19 years old. And I was awaiting tables at this restaurant here in Regina, Saskatchewan. And the library had... All of those videos, you used to be able to order, it was like a Columbia House video that would have mm -hmm. a VHS tape with the four episodes. They had all of them. And I spent that entire summer going to every single library in my city because they were divided between the 10 of them to try and find each of the tapes so I could watch them all. And I, <laughs> I copied them onto VHS. I dubbed them all illegally. And, <laughs> and I was just captivated and I couldn't get enough. And I was watching like two of these VHS tapes a day, just trying to find more and more and more. And I remember... I was so captivated. I actually got in trouble once at work. Um, I would sign my name on the back as a, I was a waiter, and I'd say thanks for coming to a meals and whatnot. And I remember one time I got pulled into the office. My um, I'd written thanks for coming to a meals always on the edge of the twilight zone, and my boss was like, "Don't write that." <laughs> so they pulled me into the office, and I got in trouble for that. Well, it would have to be the Twilight Zone marathons uh, here in the States. I don't know if you guys have those no, out there. No. No? Well, I was in high school. I had never even seen the show, but the commercials for the marathons just uh, filled me with, you know, confidence that it was going to be my new favorite thing. So <laughs> I, uh, I went out and purchased a bunch of VHS tapes and set my, my, my VCR to record the whole thing. And I, I even still remember the the order of the episodes. It was, I think, Escape Clause was the first one, which led me to kind of wonder if if uh, my investment in videotapes was actually going to pay off. But <laughs> after that, it was The Man in the Cave, and then it was Death Ship, and by then I was just, you know, hooked. So I spent the next few years collecting all the episodes I didn't have on late night reruns, and then I think in the 90s they released the VHS tapes, and I bought all those, and uh, then the DVDs, and then the Blu-rays. So I'm, um, you know. Twilight Zone's made a lot of money off me over the years. <laughs> That's just the kind of fan I am. Yeah, yeah, I think we've all done a bit of that over the years. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a show that's done quite well, hasn't it? Because I remember those box sets they brought out of, of the seasons and you got a free Twilight Zone companion with the first box set. And yeah. they were these really nice, sturdy things, weren't they? And I thought, man, these are beautiful. I'm never going to have to buy the Twilight Zone again. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know I'm I'm dreading the next release. You know, I I honestly can't believe it can be any better than the Blu-rays.、Um, but I guess we'll see what it looks like in 4K pretty soon. Well, I don't remember a time before the Twilight Zone.、Um, I was born in 1973, so obviously there were still repeats going on by that time.、Um, my first memories always involve my dad. My dad really enjoyed the Twilight Zone, and so if we were watching it, he was definitely in the room. My mother, she was kind of like, "Oh, whatever, could take it or leave it, I suppose." But、uh, I loved it because even at a very young age, I knew I was different than other children. <laughs> so I really connected with the Twilight Zone. On a very childish level at that time, but as I grew older, that never left me.、At、Christmas Day, there would be Twilight Zone marathons, and I'd be right in front of the TV. And、um, sometimes it terrified me. Like the first time I can remember being really scared by the Twilight Zone was The Howling Man.、Mm-hmm. And I still feel a little bit of that every time I watch that episode. <laughs> but it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I enjoy it very much. And、um, so. Basically, my grandmother never let me watch it because the Twilight Zone was evil, and so was Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there we are. But、uh, it was something that's just always been there in my life. It's funny because I could never. I always try to go back and remember the first one I saw. Like I, I had a like a. Sort of an on and off relationship with the show. When I was a kid, I loved it right away, and then you know you get into other things and you come back to it. And you're like, oh yeah, I remember this, and that happened、mm-hmm. like on and off for probably ten years, maybe fifteen years, until finally one year during the marathon, it just sunk in like how monumental everything that was. It wasn't <laughs> just a,、uh, you know, it wasn't just a show that had great episodes, but it was you know pushing like this social message that that was kind of amazing, and then I kind of. I found out more about Rod Serling the Man, and really, you know, that that was when I really took a deep dive.、Um, but some of my earliest memories, I, I can remember my dad always saying, like, whenever it would come on, "Oh, this was a good one." <laughs> it was kind of <laughs> like something that, you know, is something that he probably said for most of the episodes. Because back then, you know, there weren't marathons when I was、mm. younger, and you know, if they were playing one in syndication, they were playing a good one. They, they weren't like. You know they weren't going to play the whole truth like randomly at twelve thirty at night like that just didn't happen. So, you know, and、uh, I don't know some of the earliest ones I do remember probably Living Doll and、um, the masks. I mean the masks I remember having a real impression on me because I just had no idea where that was coming from when I saw it when I was probably ten、like、or eleven. I didn't. It wasn't like very. I mean I'm one of the easiest to fool. Like I'm I'm the kind of person that watches any movie and my wife will tell me after the movie that you know she's figured the entire thing out but just didn't tell me. <laughs> So I'm one of the only people that, luckily for me, like maybe that's why the Twilight Zone hit so hard for me. Is like, I, I mean, any you name a twist, I didn't particularly see it coming. Like I, there wasn't, I can't think of one. I was thinking about this the other day. Like I can't, can't think of one Twilight Zone where I knew what was going to happen the first time I saw it.、Uh-huh. So、um, I, that might just be me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, we're here to celebrate the end of season two. Finally, getting round to the end of it on the on the podcast. So, I don't like to focus on the negative, but let's start kind of at the bottom. Let's go with your least favorite episode of season two. I'm not a big fan of the comedy episodes very much.、Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like the human drama episodes and the spooky episodes, but、uh, I'd have to say that I think. Probably lowest on my list is Mr. Dingle the Strong. It just doesn't, it just doesn't grab me, and it's not one that I ever go back to very often when I want to watch a Twilight Zone episode. It's never, never one of the ones that I want to grab as a comedy one. So, well, this is a tough one because、um, you know, in later seasons there's some real stinkers, but、mm-hmm. e- even the lesser episodes of season two are still mostly pretty decent.、Um, but if I have to choose, I'm going to pick the whole truth. Oh, okay. I'm not sure w- what I could say that hasn't been said there, but to me, the word that springs to mind on this episode is tedium. <laughs> I-, I mean, you know, certainly comedy rarely works, and this isn't really even a comedy, but it has the feeling of bad comedy, you know, and and、uh, the videotape angle doesn't help it. 
And uh, so, I don't know, there's very few episodes of The Twilight Zone that I'll skip when I'm watching my own discs, but this is this is definitely one of them. Uh, so is the most unusual camera, but if I have to pick one, it's going to be the whole truth. <laughs> Um, as far as my own personal least favorite, I would say it was Mr. Dingle the Strong, mm -hmm. because I know what Burgess Meredith is capable of, and they didn't use him to the top of his talents. Um, it just, it was just the kind of episode that I'm sure was meant to be humorous, but it didn't, I didn't react that way to it at all. I just thought, when is this going to be over? <laughs> I remember that when I was a kid. I was like, when is this going to be over? Oh, goody, aliens. Wow, okay. So yeah. it just it it just wasn't my cup of tea. And as an adult watching it, you know, I can be more critical of it in sort of an English critical sort of way as like, you know, how we learn to do critical thinking in our English classes here. Mm. And uh, and it's still I can I can see certain small merits of it, but it's just not an episode that I have ever enjoyed, and I doubt that I ever will. I think it's it's close between two episodes, and then I would throw a third one in the mix. But the whole truth is just not good. Um, mm-hmm. It's, I, I think sometimes the Twilight Zone is at its worst when, and I think all writing is at its worst. Um, unfortunately, when when people make the evil characters too evil or mm -hmm. like inhumanly evil, and I think um, the whole truth and uh, thing about machines are probably two examples of that. Yeah. Um, you know, thing about machines is so loud and obnoxious. <laughs> um, like the scene. The scene where he kicks um, his assistant out of the house is is so off. It's like, like comical, you know. It's, I, I find myself laughing at it. Like, how could somebody be so ridiculous? I mean, you know, I mean, I've met jerks in my day, but you know, on screen, the way to be effective is to is to not be overly ridiculous like, like that. Um, you know, I just wasn't that crazy about that one. Um, and the whole truth is just kind of bad. Unfortunately, it's shot on videotape, which I think has its charm on some of those. And I actually really like the idea that, I don't, in, in, a, in a weird way, I like the fact that there's that to talk about and to debate yeah, yeah. in terms of lore. But in the whole truth, most of the shots are outside, or at least in a set that's supposed to be outside. Mm. And so it doesn't really translate well on videotape, especially in black and white. Um, it's kind of like taking a a photo in the dark inside and on your iPhone or something. It just doesn't look right. <laughs> I'll throw the controversial one in there. I, I've never really dug King nine will not return. I'm just okay. not, I don't know. I, it, it's a, it's an episode that kind of gets a lot of run. Um, it's not as bad as the first two I mentioned, but it, I don't know. It, it, it suffers from the same problems that the pilot suffered where like the guy is just by himself. So yeah. he has to create a, his own dialogue at least at that point they were kind of smart enough to put some of the thoughts in his head so uh -huh. he's like speaking some stuff and narrating other things yeah but yeah I, I don't know i just i feel like it drags okay so that's your least favorite let's go with one that you feel maybe is a little uh, underrated or deserves more respect. There's a few episodes that people don't tend to talk about enough, I think. Mm -hmm. Dust is one of them. Um, Nick of Time, I think, is another one that people don't talk about. I think Nick of Time is really good, and I think it does get overshadowed with Nightmare at, what, 30,000 feet, you know, as, as Shatner's other performance. So that's the one that tends to get talked about with Shatner. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, I think those two episodes are, are the underrated ones. Dust is a very, very human episode I agree with your review of Night of the Meek I, I really think Night of the Meek has all the ingredients for a Christmas classic um, but I really mm. don't feel like it gets the respect it deserves I, back in the days of the VHS tape I remember my local video store you know they used to sell individual episodes of different shows like Beverly Hillbillies and things like that at, at Christmas time and they had uh, Night of the Meek, and I, I remember picking that up. It had Rod Serling's face in red and green on the front. Um, but, mm. you know, 
I, I think the only drawback to that episode is, well, it's brevity. I, I think if it was like a feature-length film or something, it, it probably would be standing the test of time a lot better. And, of course, it's on videotape. But I don't know. It, it's it's impossible for me to watch that episode without getting choked up, you know? And, and to me, that's kind of the true test of a holiday classic. And um, I watch it every year. I, I, so, yeah, I think that one's highly underrated. Well, it depends on where you look as far as popular opinion, mm. because I've always really been a big fan of a couple of episodes uh, in that season, one of which is A Penny for Your Thoughts, uh-huh. uh, probably because I just love Dick York. I knew Dick York from Twilight Zone. I did not know him from Bewitched until later in my life. And so it was one of those things where they're like, oh, yeah, that guy from Bewitched. And I'm like, what? No, Twilight Zone. <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed that episode as a child and as an adult, it's a lovely reminder not to take things out of context. Yeah. Just because you think you know what someone's thinking, that doesn't necessarily mean you really understand what they're thinking. Um, and the other one that I really, really think deserves a little more respect, I suppose, would be the Odyssey of Flight 33. Oh, yeah. And that may be because I worked for an airline for four years. Mm-hmm. And though I I didn't work on the ground or on an actual plane, but I traveled on planes quite a bit during that time. And I know what goes on in a cockpit. I know what goes on with flight attendants, etc. And this episode reflected it very well. And just the the idea that this thing happened that they can't understand, but all they're trying to do is just get home. It doesn't have a neat little wrapped up ending where everything turns out all fine or somebody learns their lesson, etc. They're they just keep going, trying to find their way home. And I really enjoyed that because it doesn't all have to be wrapped up with a bow on it. I am a huge fan of the silence. Um, I think the silence is just a terrific episode. I, I love the fact that Rod on the show twice during this season he did it, and I think there are probably other examples in other seasons. I just I like the idea of sort of the uh, the weird club with the fancy chairs yeah. and the people talking smug and reading newspapers. Like just the fact that that I don't you know I'm obviously not old enough to know if that was a real thing mm. but you know the the idea that he kept using it as a device for the fact that you know i mean that's the great thing about the twilight zone is it's sort of a window into time you can go back to a time in america where you were 100 years out of a civil war and you were maybe like 25 or, or so years out from world war ii uh-huh. and what people thought about those two huge events was so relevant on the show and you also get to see like the old technology and the old way of life where people would just sit around in a library reading books and passing them back and forth to each other. Um, and I don't know, that whole vibe of the silence is great. And I had heard somebody say at one point that it's, I don't know if it is true, but it definitely is, is true about this episode that it's, it's one of the only episodes that doesn't actually have some sort of mystical element to it. Um, there, there is, there, there's nothing magical about it like Mm. everything is literal like it's a challenge to just be silent and then at the end he literally you know cut his vocal cords or had somebody do it or whatever it is so there's no real like twist of like something some spirit made him do this or something yeah um so i think that's really cool about it it makes it stand out i think acting is amazing Mm. uh from french tone i don't know if i'm saying that name right but you are you are (laughs) um Okay, perfect. Um, so, you know, I think he's great in it. Um, he, he reminds me sort of of actors that followed him from the 80s um, that were sort of his age then. But a uh, really great episode. And uh, Night of the Meek, um, I'd have to throw in there too. I just, I saw that one later in uh, in my time when I was like sort of trying to be a completist and see them all. That was one of the last ones I saw. And um, I mean, uh, Art Carney is, you know, Art Carney is one of the best actors of all time. Yeah. So I, I wish he was in more Twilight Zones. I, I have seen, um, what is it, Velvet Alley. Um, if you haven't seen that or if your listeners haven't seen it, I would definitely try to grab uh, one of the DVDs of Velvet Alley or maybe it's on YouTube. Uh-huh. It's got R. Carney and Jack Klugman and Leslie Nielsen 
and uh, it's incredible. And um, it 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 goes to Night in the Meek. I mean, he's just so good in it, and you know, pulls at the heartstrings. And um, just uh, those would be the two that maybe don't get enough attention from the season. What about the best, then? What's your favorite in season two? I would have to say that it's kind of a tie, and they're both very different types of stories. Uh, Silence and Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up are probably my two favorites. I really like those episodes a lot. Um, Will the Real Martian Real Set, uh, Please Stand Up, I really like that one because of a lot of the points that you said in your last episode there. You know, The Thing is my favorite movie of all time. You know, those episodes where people are stuck in an area and there's this mystery going on. Somebody's not right. Yeah. I really like those stories. And that episode really works for me. And uh, as I've been listening to your podcast, I've been watching a lot of episodes with my daughter. Okay. And who's six, right? And she really, again, that episode really meshed with her as well. And that was one that she really, really loved. And the special effects don't work. Like when, when he took the hat off, like she was confused. She's like, "What is that?" Like she didn't quite understand what it was. And I told her it's supposed to be a third eye, and the makeup just wasn't very good. She's like, "Oh, okay," because the other guy has three arms. And she's like, "Oh, okay." Mm-hmm. So, but uh, that one I think really, really works. And Silence. I remember when that ending. Yeah. I was just completely. My mind was blown <sighs> at the end of that episode. I'm like, "Oh man, that poor guy." But I, I love that episode so much as well. Um, you know, it's kind of sacrilegious, but because it wasn't penned by Serling, but I'm going to have to choose Shadow Play as my favorite. Um, it was one of those first, it was, you know, when I first saw the Twilight Zone, it was one of the first ones that really filled me with that Twilight Zone feeling, you know, it, it, it kind of made me feel like it stepped into another realm or some, you know, somebody's dream. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just even like to the, to the very end of that episode, that, that, that single, note of music when when serling is delivering his closing narration just over and over again so dry and and pointed it 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 gives me chills every time even thinking about it um and that one just is really stuck with me it's the one i always show people if they've never seen the twilight zone um because i feel like it's a it's a mind bender you know and um actually you know it's funny i i had i meant to drop you a line after your shadow play episode with a bit of trivia but now that i have you on the line i can just ask you can you name the film starring Tom Cruise in which this episode is playing on a giant TV screen over Times Square in New York City. I can. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> when you listen to the next episodes of the Twilight Zone podcast, you'll probably know why. But I, I, I think I did know anyway. It's uh, it's Vanilla Sky, right? Yes, that's right. Did <laughs> <laughs> somebody else bring you on that one already? <laughs> yeah, someone sent some feedback into the next episode that, that has that's that true. on it. That's but, cool, man. But no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I might change my opinion in the future, but as Beaumont episodes go, I think it's it's top of my list so far. And yeah. it just seems to be one of the best Twilight Zone, Twilight Zones, if you know what I mean, in that, it, it, like you say, it does kind of bend your mind in that way. And it, it's in a specific place that only really the Twilight Zone can go to. So good choice. Well, I'm going to go a direction that probably most people will not expect. Um, and it's hard to say that it's saying favorite means that I love and respect this episode and think it's really great. Mm. Uh, long distance call. Oh, cool. I had a very controlling and overbearing grandmother. Oh. <laughs> so I could relate to these parents in ways that I don't think other kids or people might. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if my grandma had been capable of calling from the other side and trying to, you know, get us all there, she would have done it. <laughs> she was just very controlling. And it's it's a very dark episode, but it resonates with some of the things that I went through in my own childhood. Mm. And I just really appreciate it, especially since I often forget that it was one of those that was on videotape because I don't remember it looking 
like it was on videotape. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I find the reactions of the parents very genuine. And, you know, that, that line when the grandmother is in bed and dying, and she says, I have no son. A woman came and took him away. And I thought, honey, you did the same thing to some other man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's just... It's just this idea that love can sometimes be too much mm. and you have to allow people to grow and find their own way. And that is true love, is allowing people to grow up, find their own way, make their mistakes, and maybe let go of you at some point. Uh, my favorite is the my favorite of the entire series. It's the Howling Man. Oh wow! Okay. You know the Howling Man is my go-to now. Um, you know I like to tell people I don't have a specific favorite episode because you know they're all sort of like, in a way, they're all sort of like at least somebody's children, if not mine. Uh, you know, so you don't want to like offend any of them. But mm. you know, Howling Man, and and you know, my opinion may change. One may pull pull me more in one direction or another over the years but howling man is definitely my favorite um in terms of like you know i've heard you talk about on the show like episodes that could have been stretched out into movies or that still could yeah. if somebody licensed them i mean that would be a prime candidate i mean you know it's the the the, the fact that they were able to work in so much distinct dialogue in a 25 minute show like that that whole scene where um, John Carradine is explaining, you know, the ways of the monks and, and, you know, um, I say, uh, there is, I tell you, we have no man, you know, and he's like <laughs> lying the entire time. Well, he's not lying the entire time. He's telling the truth the entire time. I mean, that whole sequence with the thunder out the window and, you know, the camera angles, um, the way that like, he's supposed to be sort of like dizzy and like, um, you know, uh, dehydrated or whatever, like from walking out in the rain and like every time you're seeing it from his point of view, like the camera is sort of on lean and it's like tilting uh -huh. and moving to the side. I mean, that's, you know, kind of genius level like directing. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, you don't really even see modern movies employ such techniques and just the way it looks, the costumes, the set. And they were able to do that with, you know, they were able to create this huge world with, you know, a hallway uh, and uh, basically a, a monk's office and and a cell. Yeah. I mean, there are only like three main areas, uh, and then the and then there's a part. And it's and it's so hum it's like humorous in the best of ways when he's in his own apartment in the '60s later, uh -huh. and he's got this random maid that he's decided. <laughs> you know, he's gone through all of this struggle, and then he decides to entrust the devil to some random part-time maid worker in his house. <laughs> um, you know, and it's it's kind of like it, it just works uh, for me, even though that's there. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I would throw. Um, I mean, Obsolete Man is probably in my top five, if not number two, uh, oh, wow. for the entire series. I would say. I mean, Obsolete Man is is a, it's my favorite Burgess Meredith. I, I prefer it to Time Enough at Last, even though that's a great episode. But uh -huh. Obsolete Man is is right there for me. Overall, maybe in comparison to season one or as a whole within the Twilight Zone, what do you think of season two? Uh, season two, I think, might be the best season of the Twilight Zone just because of some of the diversity that it's got. You know, it's it's really hard to say something like that, though, because there are so many good episodes in each season. Mm -hmm. But there are some really, really strong strong entries in this show and there's some very very classic ones like you know you got eye of the eye of the beholder and the invaders the odyssey of flight 33 you know it's there's some really really strong classic episodes in there but there's also some that are lesser known that are that really need to be given a good look by people like 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 i would say dust and back there long distance call like those are those are some underrated episodes i think yeah that 
stand the test of time with the classics. It's a very solid season, but then, I mean, every season of The Twilight Zone is, really. Honestly, if I had to say anything critical about it, I'd probably say that this season is tied with season five for my least favorite, Uh, Mm. as odd as that sounds. I mean, there's actually quite a few in season five that I like a lot, even though, you know, a lot of people would kind of disagree and find them more, a lot of people find them derivative, I guess, of earlier Twilight Zones, but... I don't know. I guess I'm I'm also in the minority on thinking that season four is actually pretty spectacular. I mean, I, I love the hour-long episodes. Maybe it's because I grew up with them. But mm-hmm. none of this is to really take away from season two. I mean, you know, what season of The Twilight Zone is not classic by all standards. But, um, I mean, what can you say? It's it's The Twilight Zone. It's all great. But, uh, yeah. over you know, overall, it's... it's I mean, there's so many classics. It's so good, and uh, but but how can you even be critical? So that's the the, the most critical thing I could even think of to say. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this is probably one of my favorite seasons because it has so many of the episodes that I recall growing up, hmm. and uh, it it also features. Uh, at least one episode where they were using stuff from Forbidden Planet, and that always makes me happy. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's just got so many episodes that you mentioned that episode, and everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, so, but even the ones that aren't as well known are still favorites of mine. And I think that it's a really strong season. And you know, if you start comparing it to other seasons, maybe people won't think that it's their favorite. But if you put it up against season five, everything looks great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, I think it's I think it's a really strong season, and uh, and I enjoy it every time I go through it. The thing that I always notice about this season is. The three, um, there's a three episode stretch in this season where it's Howling Man, Either Beholder, and Nick of Time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I always try to imagine myself watching them a lot, you know what I mean, as they aired. Uh-huh. And, you know, the idea that somebody in 1960 is sitting in front of their television set, you know, this is pre DVR, you know, you can't. And fast forward, everyone's watching it at the same time. You know, there's no, there's no like, oh, I'm going to watch that tonight when I get home. Uh-huh. Everyone's in front of the TV. And if you are a Twilight Zone fan of, in 1960, you're watching those three episodes back to back to back. Yeah. And it's pretty incredible. I mean, that's maybe the best three episode run of the series. Mm. I love Nick of Time. I mean, I haven't been able to, um, I, I had to get shadowed out a little bit by, by Howling Man and, and Obsolete Man. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Obsolete, uh, Absolute man. Wow, they are both men. But I got that <laughs> wrong. Um, but yeah, they um, they kind of crowd out Nick of Time, but Nick of Time is amazing. I actually, that's another one. Like, I prefer Nick of Time to 20,000 feet. So, um, you know, I just, I love that episode. Um, Burgess Meredith got to come on twice in a year. You know, nobody's going crazy over Mr. Dingo the Strong, but it's not <laughs> terrible when Burgess Meredith's in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a chance to see Burgess Meredith do something. That's so right. that's cool. You know, and then obsolete man later that season. I didn't realize until I was like looking up stuff on season two that he was at. I thought he was in like four seasons, but he was, you know, it's kind of crazy that he was, I don't know how many actors got to be in the same season, um, like that in any season. And, you know, the videotape episodes, I think, um, have their place. I think it's really cool that there's sort of a little bit of lore and, you know, kind of, you know, production stories as to why that happened, what Sterling's reaction was, which was super negative, where, I believe he was able to get it like on paper that he would never be asked to do that again. Um, the fact that they sacrificed so much and they saved such few dollars, um, you know, is typical of, of networks, I'm sure. But, you know, the writing, you know, it's, I, I wish that, you know, he was alive or if somebody had asked him this question before he passed away, like putting those together, did he deliberately put stronger episodes on videotape or particular stories because he knew those were going to be taped or did he just have the rug pulled out from under him where he had certain ones planned and they were like, no, 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 I don't care what you got planned. These are going to be videotaped because this is the schedule for this month. Mm. Um, because they did all end up outside of the whole truth. Um, they did all end up being at least good episodes. I think night of the meek and 22 are great episodes. Um, you know, long distance call was really good. Um, your coverage of that was awesome. Thank you. Um, in terms of like just 
you know, kind of, it was darker. Like, I've always considered Nightmare as a child as the darkest Twilight Zone episode, and it probably is still a little bit darker than Long Distance Call, but it's, it definitely rose on the list after hearing you yeah. break down the way that the, the actual meaning of a literal terms. Uh, Lateness of the Hour, I think, is a cool episode, too, and Static is cool, but I, I, I would say, too, that the interesting thing about being a Twilight Zone fan these days is watching the ebb and flow over the years of more popular episodes that come and go. Uh-huh. Like, um, with fans. Like, 22 would typically be, like, the, the episode, which episode do you think is slept on in, in, in season two? And most people would say 22, you know, five, ten years ago, because it was sort of more of a underground type of episode, if that's the right term. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year on the marathon in the States, it was actually, they did it for the first time when they did, like, this thing where you can sort of social media, vote on which episode would play in which time slot during prime time and then all the losers play the next night in prime time right. and 22 was one of the candidates up against the masks which was a huge choice for me <laughs> um but you know the fact that 22 is even getting that kind of run is it blows my mind actually because 22 is like an episode that you would see and be like what the hell was that i never saw that before you know like back in the in the 2000s and now it's considered one of the sort of canon great it's um which is interesting because there there are some flaws in the episode that I thought would kind of create a ceiling for it, but it, it is a cool episode, and I think that people are gravitating to it because they kind of want something new out of the show um, that they can't get anything new out of. But uh, those are those are some of the highlights from the season, I think. So we're coming into season three now, and is there any episodes in there that you're, you know, looking forward to getting to together on the on the podcast? There's there's actually quite a few as well. So I've kind of been picking and choosing as I go through a couple of them here, but uh, but season three has got a couple of my favorites as well. The grave, I can't wait to hear. Um, we watched five characters in search of an exit. Uh-huh. My daughter really liked that episode as well. I thought that was a really great episode. Midnight Sun is one of my favorites because it's such a moody episode and mm-hmm. and just the sweat and the the brightness of the episode and the the just the characters just look so hot in that episode yeah. and the twist works I think I don't know it's not really one that you that's one of those shocking ones but I like the ending of that episode a lot mm-hmm. but uh, you know there's there's a lot of classics in there as well like to serve man yeah so like there's some great episodes that are coming up but yeah I can't wait to to get into the grave and the midnight sun with you. And I got to say though, one of the things that I'm really hoping to hear more out of the twilight zone podcast is when you read the stories. Oh yeah. Okay. I absolutely love that. Like your howling man and the one that you did for the silence, Mm -hmm. like that to me, that really adds a lot to the podcast. So I'm hoping you find a few more things like that for season three. Oh, thank you. You know, I, uh, I, I really like doing them, you know, and I never know how, how they play so it's nice to hear that that you enjoy them thanks so much man oh i love them you do so well like that howling the howling man when you put those the first werewolf howl that you pulled in put in there like i was driving and listening to my headphones <laughs> right and it like it my heart like skipped a beat when you threw that first thing i'm like oh okay he's he's going all out on this one <laughs> yeah i mean well it's a good life is obviously one of the big classics um, that I, you know, any Twilight Zone fan is is gonna love that one. There's, you know, there's others. Midnight Sun, A Little Girl Lost. I love those, but I do definitely have a really kind of sweet spot for Changing of the Guard. I don't know if you've uh, if you've seen that one before, but it's a, it's a real tearjerker and it uh, it gets me every time. So I'm I'm definitely gonna be interested to hear your thoughts on that one when we get there. You might find it melodramatic, but. Uh, I, I really like that one. Donald Pleasance, I believe, is who's in it, and it's that's uh, pretty good. Well, um, for season three, there are two really standout episodes for me for very different reasons. Um, the first one is The Midnight Sun, uh-huh. uh, probably because I hate summer. And so this idea that, you know, the world is, the Earth's now out of its normal orbit, it's approaching the sun more closely. And I watch that episode in, in the dead of winter if I'm feeling cold, because it never fails to make me think, oh, I'm so glad I'm cold and not hot. <laughs> 
and these these paintings that she's painting and just how everything is melting and then to wake up and find out she just had a fever and it's actually cold and dark and the earth's going to freeze and mm. I thought I'd rather freeze I'd rather freeze yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my personal feeling but I just I love the way that they portrayed this little pocket of sort of the end of the world mm. and just these two women the the tenant and the landlady who are trying to figure out what they're going to do because there's nowhere to go to escape this it's just it's going to happen everywhere yeah yeah so and uh, the other one and this is one that really struck me as a child and really formed my opinions on equality and that is equality of mercy okay. um I, first of all, I love Dean Stockwell. How can you not? And he was so young. But uh, <laughs> just just to show this this squadron who is being forced to attack this cave where a bunch of wounded enemy soldiers are hiding and then to end up being on the other side of that and see what it would be like from the other side. Mm. Uh, now, that's a way to teach a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when it comes right down to it, we're all people, we're all humans, we all laugh, we all cry, hmm. we all have dreams, uh, you know, we're all just people, we're all just people, uh -huh. and uh, it's not necessary to kill each other, especially when people are already knocked down and wounded, and it's just wonderful to watch that happen to that character and have him come out of it and go, wow, we are really all just people. You know, I think um, I, I looked at a list of it um, just recently, and I was surprised that it's just stacked with great episodes. Um, you know, I I think a lot of times when you look back on it, because season four is, is 60 minutes, and I'll get into that for a second mm. in a moment, but it, it's interesting because I think most people consider season two the, the best of, of the seasons, or maybe season one. Mm -hmm. Um, which is weird because when I looked at the list of season three, it's definitely just as competitive as, as any other season. And I feel like when I looked at the list of season three episodes, I'm just going to call it up real quick here if I can. It's the depth of, of episodes is a little bit, it's almost like they worked some things out over the first three years where like season two has some of the real heavy hitters, you yeah. know, some of the great ones like Obsolete Man and I the Beholder and those sorts of episodes. But the downs in season two are pretty far deep. Yeah. Um, even some of the ones we didn't get into on, on, you know, there are ones that I'd rather not see. Whereas the ones that are not classics in season three are still pretty good. I mean, a piano in a house is still a good episode and it's not, you know, it's not one of my favorites, but it's, you know, that's kind of like, a mid watermark for that season. Mm -hmm. Um, um, in terms of like what I'm looking forward to, um, you know, there's a mix of different things for different services on the season. Um, you know, game of pool in terms of dialogue yeah. is, you know, Jack Klugman again. And, um, it's, it, you know, it's one of the best scripted television shows ever. I mean, that is, is brilliance. Um, mm -hmm. the hunt in terms of like an emotional, heart tugging episode uh to serve man and the dummy are you know just out and out classics that sort of like stretch the limits of what they could do at that time with special effects and all that sort of thing and, and just look amazing and just have great lines and memorable moments and uh as far as I, like you know the one underdog from that season that people either love or hate is the mirror and um i find the mirror to be really entertaining that's another episode that i feel like even though it's not one of the popular ones, um, I feel like that could be stretched out into a film sort of script. Um, you know, Peter Falk is great in it. Um, I think I just read recently that Falk had actually signed like a multi-episode deal after that episode, oh, wow. but never, you know, none of the scripts ever, none of the script, I guess what they would do is they would sign actors like to, to, you know, on spec or what have you. And then if an episode came up, they would be on call to come and do it. Uh -huh. I don't know exactly how that works, but, um, I guess they never really found another episode for Peter to be on, right. uh, over the next two years. But, uh, the mirror was great. And I thought all the background actors did a good job. It was just cool to see them sort of, 
you know, start to splinter. I mean, I can go on and on. I mean, Death's Head Revisited in terms of, like, weight and, like, importance to Rod Serling's life and the acting from uh, Oscar Berenge. Um, You know, It's a Good Life is just, you know, one that you sit and you do all the lines with. Uh, you know, and again, like, some of the mid-water marks on this, on this season, like The Jungle are still really fun episodes to watch, you mm-hmm. know? So it's a Dead Man's Shoes is another fun episode to watch. Like, it's it's just stacked with really good ones. The shelter is amazing. Jeez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I could keep going. If, if you've listened to any of my past interviews on the show, you will know that I, more often than not, I ask this question. So, because I'm always interested in what people say, because my own opinion on it changes from day to day. So, you know, we've had uh, new versions of the Twilight Zone. There's always talk about a new version coming out. Can it really exist and be successful without Rod Serling, do you think? I think it can. I think you've got to get the right person involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's got to remain a 30-minute format. I think that's really how the Twilight Zone thrived, concise. Uh, but honestly, I think it's got to be in black and white. you know. And mm-hmm. I don't think that they would do that on a modern show. But that's part of what makes the Twilight Zone what it is, I think, is that you know, the, just the look and the feel of it. Filmed on film, filmed in black and white, uh-huh. and these short, concise stories. Any show is greater than one individual. I mean, like, like I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I look at Star Trek, right? Star Trek got really good when Gene Roddenberry kind of took a back seat to it for the next generation. Deep Space Nine is my favorite one, uh-huh. right? And a lot of people think that's the least Star Trek mm. because it's darker and there's conflict, and that's not what Gene Roddenberry wanted. But a lot of people can take an idea, and other people can take that idea and run with it. And Walt... Uh, everything about the twilight zone was great with rod serling and he was definitely the right person to run the show Mm -hmm. i think that it can be run by other people as well yes and no i i I think it's gonna it's gonna sound a little bit superficial but i think what's really missing from the later iterations is rod serling's voice and face i mean obviously we don't have rod anymore but we do have computers, and we do have voice actors, and I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of fans, you know, cringing right now listening to this, but I think if it were handled right, you know, with top-notch writers and good effects, I think it could be magical again. I, you know, I'm holding out hope that maybe someday, ego warning here, maybe, like, somebody like me or you, you know, will get a chance to take a crack at a new Twilight Zone, and, you know, it's one of those dream projects. I'm sure I'm not the only one who sits around... around thinking about in the middle of the night, but I don't know. I, I, I think it could. I, I think it could live on. I, I have to say, though, I'm not sure his estate would ever let something like that happen with his likeness and all that. I, I, I don't know if you've read his daughter's book, Yeah, yeah. Uh, as, I, as I Knew Him. Have you read that? Mm-hmm. There's a story in there where she talks about a trip to Disney World where they when they opened the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror ride and how offended she and her family were by the Serling impersonator that was accompanying them at the premiere. So... You know who knows? You know they may not. They may not ever kind of want to raise Rod in that way. Um, but but who knows? You know maybe someday it'll happen. I I hope it can be done again, and I hope it can be done right. The projects that are currently on the horizon don't fill me with a great deal of enthusiasm. But you know, <laughs> I guess we'll see. Yeah, because they announced that kind of uh, interactive thing, didn't they? With yeah, uh, there was some some guy I don't know his name, but he was sort of like a video game. Uh, maker, which is fine, but he was kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of doing this other thing, and I'm con- I'm doing the Twilight Zone as well in the background, and it was like, hold on a minute, you know, this is the Twilight Zone. If you're going to do the Twilight Zone, you do the Twilight Zone, you know, Absolutely. don't have it as some side project. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Th- there was a rumor, and uh, um, who's the guy who directed the X-Men movies? <laughs> uh, Singer, Brian Singer. Yeah, there was a rumor that Brian Singer had acquired the rights to the Twilight Zone um, for a while, mm-hmm. and I got kind of excited about that. I was I was I was hoping to track him down and bend his ear, but um, it kind of just evaporated. I, I think you know he just waited too long, and then the the rights went to this this new group. But I don't know. You know, I, 
I, I hope. I hope it. I hope it works out. You know, the the, the comic books were okay. Um, but you know, J. Michael Straczynski, he's, he's a lifelong Twilight Zone fan and, and he, he, you know, he did the eighties show. So mm-hmm. he has the, you know, the background and the gravitas to do something good. I'm not so sure about the current crop, but we'll see. I, you know, fingers crossed. I have hope. <laughs> This isn't an easy question to answer. Um, The Twilight Zone, it's a very fine balance to strike between weird and normal, um, Mm -hmm. what people consider to be normal. Because it's it's a lot about examining social constructs and often deconstructing them Mm -hmm. and really peering at it. And trying to see it through our own filter because we all filter things differently based on our life experiences and so generally the Twilight Zone likes to take something and say okay here's something you really love here's something you really fear and now we're going to show you a story about it and it doesn't have to be just straight out weird Mm -hmm. you know because uh, yeah okay fine the twist is there were aliens okay that's fine but Uh it doesn't always have to be something supernatural per se yeah but it's it's a very difficult balance to strike and uh the the i think the best way is to just not be too cynical as far as twilight zone stories because there is a way to do it whether it be in graphic novel form or movies or television there is a way to do it but it would have to be very carefully done and in the right hands. And I'm not necessarily sure that everybody could come together Mm -hmm. and work together in that way to produce that same feeling as what we've already had. It's sometimes you just can't put the lightning back in the bottle, but I think that it could still exist on some level without Rod Serling. I think that he would want it to go on. I don't think that he would want it to just be the only thing that we ever talk about, which is why I'm glad that uh, there were those comics that you reviewed on the Twilight Zone podcast, Mm -hmm. because I think that that is a very good way to carry things on without having to involve a ton of people. Because if you do a television series or a movie, it's going to involve a lot of people. Studio executives are going to ruin it with their notes, etc. So... I like the idea of the graphic novel thing, the comic book thing, or even short stories. I think that's a great way to put it forward. Um, it's just whether or not someone's brave enough to give it a go. I think the important thing about these sorts of questions, because as fans, I think we all are, are thinking about it too. I think, you know, you have to consider, and I'm sure you do, but you have to consider like who Rod Serling was. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a super unique individual. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, tried to enlist, you know, um, in the military before he could, um, because he wanted to go in World War II and, you know, basically he wanted to go and fight the Nazis because he was from Jewish heritage and grew up in a small town. Mm-hmm. That's what people in the United States were doing at the time. That was that era. That was that generation. But not only did he do that, he then ended up, you know, in the army. He 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 kind of like had this twisted way to get into World War II, where like uh, unfortunately for him, he didn't get to fulfill what he wanted to do. He he ended up getting sent into the Asian theater, which, from what I understand, was not the happiest thing for him. Um, and then he ended up, you know, jumping out of airplanes and mm-hmm. and parachuting. Um, and then he, you know, I mean, this is a guy who, from from what I read in Gordon Sanders' book. Um, you know, was, was test, was test jumping like experimental parachutes after the war ended. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just the kind of guy that he was. You know, he was sort of a, he had that sort of rugged machismo in him, but at the same time, he was also an artist and a writer and a thoughtful person who cared about civil rights and mortality and the value of life and like some of the bigger questions and like combining those two things, like that sort of, man's man with the thoughtful artistic man that's a hard man to build Mm. especially in 2017 where those two 
two worlds don't really interact as much as maybe they did before the internet and before, you know, cubicle type jobs. And you know what I mean? Like that, yeah. I, I think that those sorts of things were more common then that you had, you know, I mean, you had like the JD Soundgers, you know, guys that like found themselves in war becoming better writers, like, you know, on a battlefield than they were sitting at home. Um, that was that era, you know, uh-huh. um, so I don't know. It's it's hard to imagine somebody doing that sort of thing today. Um, I I just I don't know. I, I I wish that, and I don't know if this is a thing, but I mean I'm assuming that he has scripts that that never really got made into shows or into film. It would be great if somebody trusted um, were able to to kind of bring those things to life. I can only assume that a guy as prolific as Serling has things that are unpublished, um, or maybe even has some of those books, some of those might have like stories that never made it to film um i don't have any of those books so i know he had written a few like sci-fi books with different stories like post twilight zone stuff Mm. um but you know that would be the way i'd start i'd say let let's see if there's something unpublished unmade that he wrote or you know or maybe that beaumont or matheson or johnson or hamner wrote with you know for serling that maybe serling rejected or maybe or maybe um, just didn't get made for whatever reason. Like those would be cool places to start. I don't know if anyone's ever done that with any of the later Twilight Zone series because I haven't really watched them. I'll probably eventually go back and watch them just for reference, but I'm kind of waiting. Uh-huh. But I, I would also say, you know, on the other side of the coin, um, you know, I didn't listen to all your reviews of the comic series because I only read the first book so far and I didn't want to <laughs> get any spoilers. Yeah. Um, but I did think that the first book of um, the J. Michael. Um, Straczynski uh, way in way out run I thought that was really cool that was mm-hmm. a great Twilight Zone-esque story I thought everything felt right in it you know um, sometimes it could be easier to recreate things in tra- trade paperback form I think you can give things an edge in trade paperback that can't be you know captured in film these days because you have to jump through so many hoops to kind of set the tone that the Twilight Zone, I think, was able to set naturally because of the equipment and because of the mindset of the time. Yeah. Um, I think you'd have to, like, really get mentally and technology-wise, you know, in the right place to film a Twilight Zone series. I think that's the shortcoming of some of the later Twilight Zones. They just were like, oh, let's modernize this. It's like, let's not do that. Let's make it, you know, it doesn't have to be black and white, obviously, but, Mm. you know, it does have to have a look, that, that, that noir kind of look to it. And I think in a in a in a trade paperback you can do that. It's just the way you draw it. Like it's there's nothing holding you back from making it feel and look and pace that way. Uh-huh. And I think Jay Michael did a good job doing that. And the other thing I would say is, you know, the way to avoid chasing this thing, chasing the rabbit uh, down the rabbit hole is just watch Black Mirror because it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And Charlie Brooker does a great job. Uh-huh. And you know it, he he's created his own look and feel that is. That has Twilight's own influences, but it has its own thing. And, mm. you know, if you like the Twilight Zone, I can't imagine not liking Black Mirror. I mean, there may be some episodes that miss with you, but, I mean, you know, just watch it until you get to San Junipero and then prepare for heartache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it, the thing that Black Mirror does, I don't know if you've seen the show, but the yeah, thing yeah. that Black Mirror does is it, it, it pulls on emotional threads through sci-fi that even like the Twilight Zone didn't do to the same effect. It wasn't the goal of the Twilight Zone to do what Black Mirror does. Like what Black Mirror is doing is it it is using very near technology to create emotional responses in new and unusual ways for the viewer. Whereas the Twilight Zone had a much different um, goal. You uh-huh. know, it, it wasn't about you know because what the Twilight Zone was doing in 1960 had never been done before. For just like what Black Mirror is doing in 2016 and 2017 hasn't been done before. And that's why I think the two are comparative and why that's sort of just the best answer. <laughs> just watch Black Mirror and, and, you know, and enjoy the Twilight Zone as it is. Well, Brandon, there's our questions, and you know, I really want to thank you for coming on and being part of of the season two 
close celebration. So I appreciate it, man. And I hope uh, any of my listeners who aren't already listening to your show will, will check it out. So thank you, man. Excellent. I'm happy to be here. I love listening to the show. Well, Gus, you know you've been a you've been a supporter of the show for for a long time, and I always like getting your thoughts on stuff. So it's been a real great pleasure to actually have you on the show. So thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. It's it's been an honor, Tom. Seriously, man, your podcast is in a class of its own. And on behalf of Twilight Zone fans everywhere, I salute you, my friend. I can't thank you enough for what you do. Thank you so much. Thanks. Well, Brandy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking some Twilight Zone with you. So thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's been my pleasure to speak to you, Tom. Thank you very much. Well, NASA, I really want to thank you for joining me today. You've given me some really thoughtful, intelligent answers. And, you know, I can see that your love of the Twilight Zone, you know, runs through you in everything you do so thanks so much for coming on the show cool thank you man it's an honor to talk to you I, i'm gonna probably be listening catching up to more more episodes on my way to work today so i uh, really appreciate being on the show to, to help you wrap up with everybody Thank you.